On today's episode, Mika interviews me about preconception, pregnancy, and birth. The transition from being a career-focused woman to a mother. And as a type A personality, learning to just let go. Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White. And I'm Dr. Mika Petucci, and And this this is The Science of Motherhood. Okay, hello and welcome to episode two of the podcast. Um, We are so grateful to have you here, and um, just like the first episode, as a way of introduction, today Renee is going to be sharing her birth story and pregnancy um, story and postpartum experience with you all. Um, just so you guys can get an idea of who we are, how we became mothers, um, and why we're so passionate about what we do for other mothers. And we're such a big believer in, um, matrescence and mother care. So we'll be diving into, um, Renee's pregnancy and birth story in detail, which was quite different from mine in episode one, um, which is great. I think, you know, we really want to be celebrating the differences between us as women rather than focusing on, you know, everyone trying to do things the same way. Because I think I'm going to say Renee definitely did with her birth story is she just did what she needed to do. Um, and I think that's what we all need to do. Any mother that's choosing what's right for them is the best thing for them and their baby. So, um, I won't talk about that for too much longer, but, um, it sounds like we're like soldiers of war. (laughs) We just had to do what we had to do. No, it's just, it's so true though, because I think we were very similar to you and Dave in the sense that, you know, we were in that kind of preparation, um, zone. We were planning to have a family for quite a while. I definitely didn't do any metal detoxes. I think, I think for me, I, I think, I, I think all I said to Grayson was stop eating so much bacon and really tone down the whiskey every night. Thanks. Um, was that when the, um, <clears throat> The bacon, you know, being a carcinogen came out. Were you before that? Um, I think I've always, uh, yeah, I was just like, just seriously, chill out with the bacon. Like, you, like just oh, you're killing man. me here, mate. Um, no. So for me, definitely um, being really mindful of my nutrition. Um, we did a similar thing, went to um, our local GP and got some blood work done just to check where we were at. Well, I think preconception planning is something we want to talk about um, with one of our doctors in a later podcast because I think it is important, but also a discussion around like what it involves, what you need to do. And if you didn't get around to doing it and you got pregnant by surprise or it just wasn't something you planned, what can you during pregnancy or postpartum as the next best thing to support you moving forward? Um, But it sounds great. I'm looking forward to hearing your story in detail. So you're working with your GP, did the blood work, you got Grayson off the bacon. Yeah, so that all kind of came back and we're avid 
um, San Diego Comic-Con fans. So we were going every second year and it was kind of like I had said to myself, okay, this is the last hurrah. Like this is the last big trip as just a couple. And I had, Mm. I'd known within myself, I was like, now's the time. So after that, um, that's when we really kind of, I was, I got more serious about it. I, I bought a lot more books. Um, I read, uh, Kaz Cook's mm. Up the Duff, which is for, you know, anyone who wants to read a really funny pregnancy book, get that. I was literally crying with laughter with each chapter. Um, I can second that as well. I, just, oh, I read so many of the other. Books that were very yeah. prescriptive and yeah. not humorous, and I always sometimes felt guilty if I wasn't doing yeah. the forty million things I should be doing a day for my pregnancy. And then I read that book, and it was just like it was lighthearted. It's all evidence based, yeah. um, like amazing medical information, but it's also light and realistic. So mm-hmm. I totally agree. I just remember reading it and going, "Oh, I am doing enough." I feel like good. even your like even your partner could read it. <laughs> And it wouldn't be like one of those ones where they're like, oh, God, do I have to read this book? No, it was it was great. I loved it. So I read that from like cover to cover before I even conceived. And, you know, probably similar to you, we conceived quite quickly, probably quicker than we anticipated. I was doing my final exam to register as a patent attorney. So that was an interesting time. Like, as you said, those first, that first Mm. trimester, the waves of nausea were just unbearable. For me, things that helped were like ginger, but Mm. I had to just snack, like tiny snacks all the time. So it was quite funny. I walked into this last exam and it was, I think it was, it was definitely three, four hour exam. Luckily, it was in the morning, and that was normally when I was much better. But I I set up a smorgasbord <laughs> of food. And so, you know, everyone else is just getting out a pen, a highlighter, maybe a ruler. And I was like, a pen, a highlighter, a ruler, two different drinks. I've got nuts over here. I've got a little chocolate bar, a protein ball. Like, like seriously. And people were thinking, like I could see people looking at me thinking, what is this girl doing? <laughs> Nevertheless, you do what you have to do to get through the day. And we got through the day, which was fantastic. And um, you passed your exam. And I passed my exam, which was great. But, you know, just on that point, because I had been in the profession, that was my third year in that industry. And, you know, it comes back to timing and there's never a good time to have or an ideal time to have a child. But I was 32 by that state, 32 I think it was, and I was just like, now's the time. Like I'm not waiting, you know. If I wait now, then I'm going to be waiting forever. But I did have that, um, I don't know if it was guilt, but just that reflection of, oh, God, you know, what is everyone going to think? I've only just, you know, registered as an attorney, you know, people are going to think, oh, my God, you know, what a waste. She's going to go off and have Matt leave and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, I just kind of thought, you know, a career is quite possibly forever. Hopefully I live a long and healthy life. I have got decades 
to be an attorney, but now is the time that I want to be a mum. So um, I, and I think so many other women can relate to what you were saying, Renee, in terms of trying to get your career to a certain point and get it established and also wanting to have kids in a reasonable time frame um, before you get too old. And, you know, it is a real challenge, I think, especially because we both did, you know, science degrees, honours, PhDs. So that's almost 10 years of university study then going to work um, in the workforce, trying to, you know, earn some money, live yeah. a life, travel, um, you know, get your career set up and where are you supposed to have kids? It's really hard. I remember feeling the same way. I thought I'm just going to wait until I'm at this point in my career. And I was like, I can't because one, it could take a really long time. Yeah. And two, like I was, yeah, 32 as well when I was doing our preconception planning. And then because I've worked in female reproduction and infertility, you know, those graphs really show at 35 that your fertility literally yeah. drops off the edge of the cliff. Yeah. And like you said, when you start trying, you don't know how long it's going to take. It could be really quick Mm -hmm. or it could take a couple of years. You just don't know. So um, I think they're all really things that women consider. Um, But obviously it's great news that you did fall pregnant so quickly. Yeah, we did. As I said, the timing obviously wasn't perfect. I think we were hoping to conceive after I'd finished all my exams. I was very mindful of – um, the effect of stress mm. on pregnancy. And, you know, if anyone knows you've done a school exam or anything like that, they're stressful situations. And for me, this was the last hurdle. But nevertheless, it happened. I always, I always wanted a private OB. I thought that's the way I go. My husband and I had spoken about, you know, how many children we were going to have. I come from a family of two kids. He is, you know, second generation only child. And I thought I'm going to break the cycle on this. But at the same time, he was very adamant of just having one. And I was like, okay, well, let's just see how we go. Everything, you know, it's like everything in marriage, everything's a compromise. Let's just see how we go. And with that, I thought to myself, if I'm only doing this once, I want to have Every opportunity, this is what I thought personally, every opportunity to dictate the way I want this to go. And I thought um, having a private obstetrician would be that because I had heard that, you know, you know, pardon the French, if the shit hits the fan and I want a cesarean, that's a very difficult ask in a public kind of setting. Um, friends had been in that situation where they were just like, I, I just want to have a cesarean and they really had to plead their case for it. And I was like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be in that situation. I loved the concept that if I went with a private OB here in Melbourne, I could be shipped off to a nice hotel halfway through my hospital stay. And that was important for us because my husband is, he hates hospitals, um, does not like to be near them, in them, anything like that. So those were kind of the things that we were thinking about when we were making a choice as to who was going to be our provider for this pregnancy. 
So I did a bit of research on some private OBs and we're close to the Royal Women's, which is, you know, right next to Francis Perry House. So we chose someone who um, works through Francis Perry and we landed on a beautiful obstetrician, Kim Jansen, who I didn't know at the time, but apparently is like a leading obstetrician um, for cesareans. <clears throat> so that helped later on down the track as we'll get to. So yeah, pregnancy was, as I said, rough in the first trimester. I could barely keep my eyes open during the day. And I distinctly remember one instance where I thought, if I do not get up from this desk and try and find somewhere where I can have a quiet kip for just five minutes, I'm literally going to faint. So I, I, I picked myself up. And waltzed over to the bathrooms, the office bathrooms, sat myself down on the toilet in the stall and had a five-minute kip on the toilet roll holder because I was just so exhausted. So as we say, you know, you just do what you need to do to get through the day. I guess similar to you, like once you kind of got over that, you know, first trimester, for me it was – the first actual appointment I had with Kim, as soon as I had had that appointment, I saw the heartbeat. Um, you know, I kind of had this reassurance that like everything was going to be okay. The day after, bang, all the nausea had gone. Mm. It was just, yeah, for me, it was, I think it was an anxiety thing. And I am, you know, I've always been quite a, uh, anxious, stressy person. That's just my personality. But yeah, it was, it was a pretty easygoing pregnancy, I would say, except for the fact that, uh, my daughter was very long and even to the point where one week they measured me and they said, um, you're about two weeks ahead of schedule. And I thought, <laughs> oh my God okay, like tone it down, kid. And I definitely knew that she was long because my ribs felt like the burning gates of hell <laughs> from her kicking. It was – that was the – like the only thing I could complain about was that. Um, but I found an amazing massage therapist at a place in South Melbourne and – she just revolutionized my life. I ended up having to see her every fortnight mm. because otherwise I, I just physically could not sit, stand, whatever. Um, and if, you know, a shout out to um, my beautiful therapist Ming from there. It's, I think it's the urban body spa mm. in Clarendon street. And for anyone who has been there, you, if you know, you know, you get a pregnancy massage on a futon on your side. And I was pregnant in winter. So mm. they actually have open fires there in the rooms as well. So I had mm. beautiful pregnancy massages in front of open fires. And I just kind of thought, oh, my God, this is heaven. This is just absolute heaven. So in terms of self-care, that was kind of what I really doubled down on. Mm. 
I think it's so needed, isn't it? Like oh. Growing a baby is it's hard work on it's the body. It's just exhausting. And, yeah. um, you know, you're filling a cup there by doing that in such a beautiful space and looking after you and yeah. also getting the therapeutic benefits of getting some more space in your body yeah. for this long child because you're not, you know, a super tall person no. either. and I've so. got a tiny torso. I've got long legs and a tiny torso, oh. as my husband reminds me all the time. Um, and that tiny torso was not ready for um, – <laughs> The long baby, because my husband is six foot. So, yeah, that's what we had to do to accommodate her. So it kind of got to the third trimester. I finished up at work, which was great and also quite strange at the same time. We're very similar. You know, I've been at school since kindergarten. I haven't stopped, you know, and then – university honors phd then you went straight into a job and i've been working the whole time and then all of a sudden nothing so that was a really strange place for me to be in personally because i was my work and i have been my work (laughs) for so long And then to have to switch off and try and, you know, prepare myself for this new mindset. And quite frankly, I didn't. I was not prepared at all for becoming a mother. But I will have to say, and I give really, like, big credit to my husband for this. He's such an introspective person. And he would leave kind of like breadcrumbs in conversation around, have you thought about this or what about that? And I I don't know whether it's because I didn't want to think about it because I was a bit scared. Like the fear was definitely there because I was like, all I kept thinking was I'm going to have a baby. It's going to be amazing. We're going to have new memories and have all these beautiful experiences. And I wasn't thinking about the day to day, you know, me, I'm big picture. And this is why we're so good together. You're micro, I'm macro and I love it. But I wasn't thinking about things like how sleep deprived am I going to be? What am I going to do to get through the day? How am I going to prepare myself, you know, call on that village now and get prepared? So my husband was like, we, I I really think we should get a cleaner now. I really think that you should book in with a breastfeeding consultant now prior to the baby arriving. I really think that we should start building a relationship with um, an external care provider because we we didn't have family close by. Um, and so we didn't, we couldn't call on our parents and be like, Hey, can you just come around for like, you know, an hour and look after Eva while I go have a shower or go for a walk or things like that. So he was like, let's get people within the inner circle now before Mm -hmm. the baby arrives, because I can guarantee you there's, slim chance of you actually letting anyone in the door um, once she arrives. It's just not going to happen. And I I just had this mentality because I always have with, you know, I can do it all myself. 
and I can do it by myself because that is what I have been rewarded with in life, whether it be through my academic career or my professional career. Yes, it's team-based because, you know, when you work in a lab, you work as a team. When you work at a law firm, you're working as part of a team. But you still get rewarded as an individual and as a woman as well. I think, you know, we take that, I can do this. I can do this as well as you, the male counterpart, if not better. And that's what I rolled into motherhood with, which is just a personally a huge mistake because it takes more than just the mother to raise the child and you need to call on those external people the villagers to help you with this because you can't do it all by yourself we weren't supposed to do this all by ourselves you know it wasn't something i was thinking of and it actually wasn't something i wanted to think about as well Needless to say, now, three and a half years down the track, we have those external providers now. I'm on map leave. I'm all by myself. And the other missing piece of the puzzle is that we moved to a completely new suburb when I was 32 weeks pregnant. So I knew no one. I didn't have any friends in the suburb. I didn't have any family close by and it became very, very isolating. My brain didn't know what to do because I had always been so active physically, intellectually, and I could hardly walk down the street. I was so big and I just started to get these waves of anxiety And I hadn't done a calm birth class or anything. I had done some classes through the hospital, which, um, you know, probably weren't great. They were, I would say, a little bit outdated. Um, And I didn't walk out going, I've got this. I, I, I just didn't. And so I really started to spiral. And again, My husband identified quite quickly that this was going to go south. And, you know, we sat down and we started talking about, okay, what are our options? What are we going to do about this? Because he's like, we can't let you keep going along these lines. Let's go in and have a chat with Kim and we can sort this out. And I think by that stage, we had done a lot of research on, okay, well, what are the potential complications with a C-section? What are the pros and cons? Only thing that I could see that was going to be an issue for me, when the baby comes through, you know, the vaginal tract, they pick up all the great microbiome and that aids in, you know, reducing eczema and asthma and allergies and things like that. And, you know, that's the beginning of their whole digestive kind of microbiome. And, you know, the nerdo in me was like researching, okay, so if I have a C-section, what are my options? What can I do? Um, to the point where I think I was reading a study. It was a very small study. There was only 20 women involved, but it was – Um, women who had a C-section had the option of inserting like a sterile gauze up your hoo-ha 
some you know some good bacteria would then be on the gauze mm. and then as soon as the baby came out all they would do would be wipe the baby's face with that particular gauze and they found that you know that assisted with establishing a similar kind of microbiome to what it would be in quote unquote and you know a natural birth so i thought okay and i spoke to kim about that i was like and she was amazing she knew that study already she was like look you know it was a really small study we can do it if you want to but quite frankly like i think you'll be okay if you if you breastfeed and i highly encourage that you do you know your baby will get the similar kind of good bacteria we kind of thought about it and then uh, the control freak in me just hit the panic button and I was like I I'm just a little bit not even a little bit I was very afraid of what my mindset would be going into the hospital being already a very stressy anxious person and if things spiral or don't go the way I want them to go during labor I'm not sure I can pull myself out of that negative headspace and I'll honestly I'll probably end up having a cesarean anyway and I just kind of thought let's just cut out the middleman and I'm gonna make it a really really positive experience and so that's what we did we booked in and I think I was uh 38 it was I've got nothing to compare it to obviously but it was just magical it was obviously I was so nervous but it was absolutely magical and I still remember you know driving to the hospital that morning still with that like kind of butterflies in my stomach oh my god are we making the right decision and everything like that and I remember walking into the rooms at the hospital and we had to wait in the waiting area first before they took us back out to theater and I remember sitting on the chair by myself as Grayson was kind of, you know, talking to the midwives at the desk because he's like, sit down. Like, clearly I was, I was very big. I needed a chair everywhere I went. Okay, and so um, I remember looking over at the TV and they were celebrating the fact that it was Daffodil Day today. And I instantly felt that everything was going to be okay. Because the backstory to that is when Grayson proposed to me, we were at his grandma's farm in Tasmania and we were walking through the paddocks and there were these beautiful daffodils just rising out of the ground. It was like the first day of spring. It's very, it's very, um, sounds very like, you know, motion picture. But he went to bend down and what I thought was pick the daffodil. And I instantly flipped around. I said, don't pick that. That's not ours. You know, just leave it in the ground. It's beautiful. And what he was actually doing was getting the ring out of his, out of the side of his sock to propose to me. And so, you know, daffodils are very symbolic for us. I had, you know, a bouquet of daffodils for 
um, my wedding bouquet. And so, yeah, as soon as I sat down and I hadn't even realized that it was Daffodil Day and I just looked at the TV and they're like, it's Daffodil Day and blah, blah, blah and, you know, all the rest of it. And I just instantly felt everything was going to be okay. Everything is where it needs to be. You know, the planets have aligned for this day. And it was. It was so magical. I went into theatre. Um, you know, everyone was just in such a beautiful headspace. Kim had just run 10Ks, or I think. <laughs> She's like, are we ready for a baby? And I was just like, yes, we're ready for a baby. And it, everyone was just so cool, calm, and collected. And it's exactly how I wanted it to be. Um, if I was going to have another baby... Honestly, I think I would probably go and have another C-section because I had such a wonderful experience that way. But that was, yeah, that was the birth. What I wasn't prepared for, though, was the aftermath. And that's what nearly killed me, I think. Um, I wasn't prepared for the difficulty of breastfeeding. Um, I really struggled in the beginning. But thankfully, we landed on amazing midwife um, who just quickly identified that, you know, my nipples were defective, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> and she was like, let's just try a nipple shield. And as soon as we did that, it, it was a game changer. Like, it just changed everything and we never had a problem since. But for me, the biggest thing was the sleep deprivation, the catnapping, and not understanding how normal it was for babies to not sleep. And it caused an immense amount of anxiety and stress for me, which meant a huge amount of stress and anxiety for my marriage. We had a lot of fights over it. And I think, you know, there was a lot of mum rage a lot of mum rage. If I was to have another kid, as I said, I'm not going to, but I think I would just be so much more gentle on myself. And knowing what you know now is an amazing thing. You know, hindsight's an amazing thing. You've touched on so many interesting topics um, throughout your pregnancy and birth story. And I have to say that I really appreciate your vulnerability in sharing so much of that. I think it's things that so many women can relate to um, in different parts. And I certainly, I'm been over here nodding my head um i don't really think you can prepare yourself for that sleep deprivation i don't think you have any under everyone's like you'll be tired it'd be great if you could save your sleep but you know and some babies do sleep well um and i think in western culture we have a real obsession with babies one sleeping on their own through the night really early like before it's actually viable and that can cause a lot of anxiety and stress when your baby doesn't mm. um and we had similar issues at our house too especially when other babies in different circles are sleeping through the night really early and the mum's rested i think motherhood's a very different experience when you're not sleep deprived um but you said in your postpartum sec, if you were to do it again, you would be more gentle on yourself. Can you maybe elaborate on, would that be setting up your village earlier? Would it be postpartum specific nutrition? Would it be just letting go of yeah. com comparison, which is, I think, so normal as a first time mum? 100%. Um, I, I pick D, all of the above. <laughs> I would 100% have listened to my husband and I would have got, I would have started creating that village. 
I would have started building a rapport. I would have, you know, got to clean it earlier. And I know that's a very privileged situation to be in, but, you know, we were in that situation where we were able to afford for someone to come a couple of hours, you know, every week or so to come and help out at the house. Definitely would have started creating that village much, much earlier, knowing what I know now. Um, in terms of, you know, just being more kind on myself with the negative thoughts because I had just put so much pressure on myself. Again, it comes back to that whole philosophy that it was, I can do this, I can do anything, and I can do it all by myself. It's just crazy. It was just crazy. And I I distinctly remember a moment where my husband had gone away for work and so my sister had come to stay with me and I was sitting in the you know my breastfeeding chair with Eva and I was just uncontrollably sobbing and saying to my sister and my sister doesn't have kids either saying to her this is the most awful experience I can't understand why anyone has more than one or does this more than once. I said, I feel like I'm on a carousel and I cannot get off because you can't (laughs) because, you know, you've got a child now and you just have to keep moving forward. I couldn't see the light. And just on that, you know, sleep deprivation, when Eva was seven months old, she got croup. And for us, it was just an instinctual thing where we started co-sleeping because I was terrified for her to be in another room because the, just the breathing, I was like, no, I need to have her right next to me because I need to know exactly what's going on. And it was a game changer. Mm. Co-sleeping was a game changer. And I just kind of thought we have – why why did we why oh, I can tell you why marketing and you know economy and things like that why do why do we have bassinets and things like that and co-sleeping can can be when it's done properly very safe um you know the SIDS guidelines mm. and things like that if anyone out there wants to read them and of course we'll have that resource available to you if you want to reach out but co-sleeping can be done very very safely and for us it was such a change of pace because she could feed all night if she wanted to and both of us could be lying down resting you know once she's latched on I would just go back to sleep and I remember after two weeks of co-sleeping I was just like I don't think we're going to put her back in the bassinet We ended up doing it for a little bit, but from that point on, and she's three and a half now, we have become so flexible with, if she's in our bed, she's in our bed. If she starts in her bed, she starts in her bed and then wants to come in, you know, in the middle of the night, that's fine. Like that in terms of like that being kind on yourself, letting go, because I was so afraid of what everyone would think say and oh my goodness you know you have your child sleeping in your bed um quite frankly whatever your business is is your business not here to judge you know whatever floats your boat and as i as we keep coming back to you whatever gets you through gets you through and 
no one should judge a mother for making those decisions the way she does. Um, so yeah, that was just, that was a game changer for us. Yeah. I think that's so true. I think letting go of what you think it should look like or what it looks like for other people is a really big thing. And I, I'm again, nodding away because I think, you know, on my mothering journey so far, that's the biggest lesson I've learned is as a type A control freak, you know, being very resourceful myself is just letting go of things and just like, this is not what I thought it would be. And that's okay. Yes. Absolutely. Um, and I think it's a really great thing to learn. Um, but I just also should say we ended up doing co-sleeping as well because we were struggling with the sleep and I loved it, but I didn't tell other people we were doing it because I know I was so such a big, but like I, I struggled with this as well. And then do you know what I tell myself at the end of the day at five o'clock PM, no one is going to knock on a door with a clipboard and a checklist and go, right, so Renee, um, did you co-sleep today? Check. Okay, you will be penalised. X. No one is doing that. It is all in our heads. And I think, you know, the sooner we start talking more about it, giving it more oxygen, more airplay, the sooner everyone is going to start accepting it more and understanding that this is quite possibly a better way of doing it for some people and that's okay. And no judgment should be had for that because the way you parent is going to be very different to the way I parent and for everyone in this world. And that is the most amazing thing about being different people because wouldn't it be so boring if we were all the same? 100% and I think you know there's some cultures or many cultures where sleeping co-sleeping is the norm yeah and it's just you know part of their way of life and it's been done to quite you know the kids are quite you know an older age where for our society with marketing and different social examples I think you might be surprised at how many people are actually co-sleeping but not talking about it um but I think so like this time around for us at least second time we're like yep we're co-sleeping again like I don't care what people think. I just know what's right for us. Yeah. And also people don't really need to know. But, um, yeah, it's interesting to hear experiences around that too and how beneficial it can be. Whatever gets you and the baby the most rest is the best thing. Okay, so in wrapping up, um, I've got so many questions I'd like to ask you and um, I have to say, you know, you've been a really great support for me during my motherhood experience too, because I think we had a similar first year with the, you know, not sleeping well. And yeah. it's so lovely to talk to someone who's been through the same thing and really understands. Um, what do you think, you know, you said you're probably not going to go back and have another one. So from your experiences, what would be some of your takeaways that you would tell some of our first time mums um, in terms of maybe – I know we've touched on postpartum already. Um, you're saying getting your village ready sooner. Is there anything else you would add to that, like getting a cleaner and external resources? Meal prep, 100% meal prep okay. because I I think I had made two frozen meals, which was just madness. Mm. I had no clear understanding of how little time I would have to actually um, – one, have any time to myself, or two, make a meal. Like it was just absolute madness. And, you know, the research shows that you are depleted 
in pregnancy, so you're going into postpartum depleted of micronutrients like iron, collagen, you know, B12, vitamin D, all those things. And so what's going to help you replenish those micronutrients and make you less tired, have better energy, better brain function. You know, if you choose to breastfeed, then you're going to be passing those micronutrients onto your child. All of those amazing things is food. And if you do what I did, which is reach for the next box of Tam, Tim Tams, you're probably doing yourself a disservice. So I would definitely have started a meal train. So, you know, for anyone at home who doesn't know what that is or haven't heard about what that is, it's essentially a website where it's got a calendar and, you know, your friends and family can be invited into the group and they can pick a day, pick a meal as to, you know, when they're going to drop it over at your house. I know um, some of our clients, we recommend this for all of our clients, but this, you know, understandably, there are people who go, oh my God, you know, I, I, I don't really want to ask people to like make me a meal. That's fine. Handball it to either your partner or your best friend or your cousin or your sister or whoever it is and get them to organize it. Do a bit of a sneaky and write the invitation yourself. Like things like, oh, they love this type of food or they don't like this or whatever the case may be. Um, and get the, that person to distribute the invitation for you. You would be so surprised how many people would just be falling over backwards to make a meal for you. Like it's great. So I would definitely stock my freezer because I just was so tired. I just couldn't, I couldn't do anything. And I think just touching on what you had said in the previous episode about um, almost delegating, being mindful that you only have a limited emotional, physical kind of mental headspace for so many things and you need to learn to delegate. So before the baby arrives, have a chat about what the change in roles mm-hmm. are for the house. Who's going to do the washing? Who's going to do the, 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 you know, stacking the dishwasher? Who's going to walk the dog? Who's going to do the shopping? Oh my God. If anyone does not buy their grocery shopping online and get it delivered to their house, that is a must. 100%. Like, you know, do not pass go, do not collect $200 get yourself a Woolies or a Coles account and get set up for online. It is a game changer, 110%. Learn to and be comfortable with delegating and make sure your partner and your village is on board. Everyone knows exactly what they need to be doing because your job as the mum is to rest, replenish and love your baby. That is it. That should that should just be it for like the first three months at least. Um, so that is what I would do differently. Mm. And that's what I would highly encourage all mums, first time, second time, fifth time, whatever the case may be. 
Well, thank you. That's yeah, that's some really great practical advice there for women to take on board. And, and I think looking at those, like the nitty-gritty of the day-to-day is something that so many couples probably don't do or don't realise. Um, but in one of my books I remember reading, you know, when you bring this baby home, you're not going to have the time or energy to make three meals a day and two snacks and you will be so hungry, oh, especially if you're breastfeeding. Oh, my God. And it's really hard to comprehend when you haven't had a baby that that's possible. Um, but it's so true. You have you don't even have five minutes to yourself. And when the baby's out, like you're hungry when you're pregnant, but now the baby's out, you've got room for the food, right? <laughs> because before it was just like bite-sized meals type thing because some, like, I don't know, her ankles were halfway up <laughs> my throat. Um, but then as soon as she was out, I was like, whoa, I've got capacity. Like I was just like a machine. Yeah. It is. Um, it's quite scary, actually, how much it's you can terrifying. put away. But it's also enjoyable. But oh yeah, it was so good. <laughs> I was like making up for lost time. <laughs> but I think what you said about focusing on really nutritious food is important. Yes. I think um, we're so good at being healthy and nutritious during pregnancy, and we've got more time and energy then. Yep. But when postpartum comes around, if you don't have that meal train or that freezer stocked, it is hard to get that nutrition in. You know, as much as you can with each meal or snack. So. You know, what you eat matters. It can really be a game changer in terms of you feeling strengthened and revitalized, like you said, having good memory and brain function, as opposed to feeling really forgetful and tired, dizzy, you know, fatigued and things like that. So um, we will definitely be doing more podcasts on postpartum specific nutrition and how important that is. But I think, you know, your nutrition in postpartum needs to almost, it does, it needs to be higher and better than it is in pregnancy. Yeah. So I think that was a really good topic that you touched on. Yeah. So um, unless you have any other comments or remarks, I just want to say thank you again for sharing. I agree. Like I, we've known each other for so long and I learnt, I didn't know that daffodil story. Yeah. So it was so lovely to hear and I, I think, you know, touching on the different hats that we wear as women and trying to change them. Um is a really complex issue and it is hard to do, you know, quickly um, in terms of going from being a career woman to a mother or whatever it might be. And I just, yeah, I really appreciate your honesty with sharing and it's so good to hear and I think mums need to – it just sounded like you got yourself, you know, you're in a situation where maybe it wasn't ideal in terms of moving to a new neighbourhood and not having that village and support and then you got yourself into a space where you were in for the birth. You were right where you needed to be to have the birth experience that you deserved and yep. you required. And it's so lovely to hear how well that's paid off for you and your family. So, and obviously now we're hoping that um, little Eva is a much better sleeper. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, thank you so much for sharing. And oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed and took lots out of it. And um, we look forward to you joining us on the next podcast. Thanks, guys. See you. If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. 
You can find all of our services, including our postpartum in-home care and our Fill Your Freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.